Happy Friday, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. We've been busy this week. This is the fourth show of the week because we got a little behind last week. And they've been almost all interviews, lots of priests. Today, I bring you Mr. Patrick O'Hearn, who I have a kind of special relationship with. Steph has a special relationship with because he is acquisitions editor at Tan Books, the replacement for a very special man, a special man replacing a special man, John Morehouse, rest in peace. Uh, Everyone continue praying for the Morehouse family. Uh, John died within a calendar year of now suddenly, and he was a great guy and we all loved him. And Tan went out and got Mr. Patrick O'Hearn, who is our special guest today. He's also the author of a Tan book called The Parents of the Saints. And I am thrilled to have him here. I'll begin addressing you now, Patrick. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. How are you, bud? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah, it's excellent to see you face to face. We've talked lots by phone because I've got an upcoming tan book. Steph has a much more quickly impending tan book. You've been working with us tons. And now I'd like to just pay a full show's worth of attention to your Parents of the Saints book. Can I tell you in a kind of uh, dulcet opening introductory notes why your book is so important according to me? Segundo May, can I go ahead and do that? Please do. <laughs> it's look, I, I, I'm serious. And I want parish orphans and retrogrades out there to hear this. We live in this dark time, this dastardly time, post post Christendom epoch of the world that fits into the providential scheme somewhere. It's got to be somewhere toward the end, right? I don't know if it's end times, but maybe. And it's got to be somewhere toward the end. So because it's never been this dark. So here's the thing. The remnant of true Christians, you know, a lot of them are, a lot of them are traditional Christians, trads. Uh, there, there are others besides that are true Christians out there that are trying to live according to Christ's word and example. But a lot of them are trad Christians like us, like you and me, Patrick. And there's a lot of confusion among folks our age who are, you know, you and I are both husbands and fathers. We we're talking about that a little before we rolled tape. And there's definitely a lot of confusion among the baby boomers that raised our generation. And there's confusion even amongst the so-called greatest generation, which I think is the generation equivalent of the Enlightenment, who named themselves like this great thing. And I, I don't think it's so true. They don't know in this evil 21st century, they didn't know in the evil 20th century how to raise a Christian household. But most of them, 999 out of a thousand. I'm talking even even trads. I'm talking there's a kind of stark contrariness that is necessary, be in the world but not of the world, that we live by the Christian diktat from John, whatever it is, chapter four, chapter six. But it it gets priggish, it gets Flan- Ned Flandersy, it gets nerdy real fast. And that is not the way to make these warriors for Christ or these uh, sweet daughters of the king. It, it doesn't work. And when I read your book, when I, we're, we're going through some preliminary notes, Steph and I, of your book, Patrick, the parents of the saints were unique. They were surprising. They were strangely disparate in their background, even 
even from a traditional Catholic perspective, did you find this at all when you set out to write it? I did. They, you know, I always say that the, the parents, the saints, actually, a lot of them were holier than their children. And, and the reason I put in the subtitle is the hidden heroes, like they weren't out to seek the praise of the world. They were to seek the praise of God. And, and one thing in the intro I talk about is at uh, Maria Goretti's canonization, you know, it was the first time that a mother had attended her own child's canonization. I, I can't imagine a greater feat and, and to be a, at your child's um, yeah. canonization. And the Pope said to her, like, dear Christian mothers and fathers, you must educate your child in martyrdom. And I think that this is the way we're going right now is, you know, we're preparing our children to be martyrs. And so I think Maria Goretti's mother, they were countercultural. And then you see it throughout this, throughout this book, these parents, there was just something there about them. They had, you know, one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. And, and that's, that's the, the reason their children became saints is clearly uh, the majority of them, I would say, is because they had that foundation uh, from, from, uh, from their birth. Yeah, that's real good. That's, that's kind of what I'm pointing at here. It's a, it's a handsome, handsome cover, Parents of the Saints. That, that's what I was trying to articulate. I haven't read this whole thing, but I, I have some specific questions. You know, one first question you always want to ask an author is like, well, why'd you write this book? I think I can assume the reason I know why you wrote the book, and it has to do with the answer you just gave. The idea that we're supposed to be cultivating love of God in our children, which is to say holiness, you know, visible love of God, invisible love of God, both. And that love reaches its apotheosis in martyrdom, right? So (laughs) we're supposed to be training little warrior boys and little daughters of the king girls who would be willing to martyr martyr themselves for Christ. What I'm saying is the modern castrated, neutered sort of de-protestantized American culture that abounds in the suburb is not it. This is not it. The the suburbs are not it. Ned Flanders and Maude and Rod and Todd Flanders from The Simpsons, they're not it. And it's not just because they're Protestants or something like that. It's more than that. It's the boring, sweater-wearing, buttoned-down, uh, civilized, domesticated, emasculated man is head of the household and all that. That's not preparation for a lifetime uh, that, that, that is consecrated to maybe martyrdom, red or at the very least white, is it? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, one of the things I talk about there is, uh, you know, St. Maximilian and Colby's parents, and they literally took their children and transplanted them to, it was more of a rural country area because of the, you know, just the, the, the secular liberal influences in the city. And, and there's, there's countless stories, uh, other stories of that too in the book, but just to show that this is, you know, like if, if your task is to get your, your kids to heaven, you're going to do everything possible. And that even means, you know, even uh, living of taking uh, how do I say dealing with poverty, you know, that was a, like John of the cross, his own father. He, when he got married, he, he chose a lady that was beneath his class and it was, uh, and he was renounced by his family or um, you have uh, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. He was poisoned to death for his strong uh, 
political conservative views. So this is, you know, these, these are these parents that, that we're reading about. It's like, it's no wonder their children followed in their footsteps because they were leading the path and they weren't, like you said, they weren't content just being in, you know, like the suburbia, just being, just going with the flow. They were going against the stream. Yeah. The, the, what I, that's really beautiful. I want to read a passage um, that yeah. you cite in the book about yeah. St. John Bosco's parents and, and by virtue of them, him himself. But there's something, what I'm trying to say is the saints, the Catholic saints did not lead this life that is averse to risk. There's a little bit of crazy and you see it in the way that they're raised. Now it's not, it's not sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, kind of urban, urban crazy in American life, particularly in sort of post Republic America, the last hundred years, we have this domesticated, again, suburban thing, which is one half of a false dichotomy. It's like, oh, the herbs are cool and the burbs are dorky. The herbs are sort of crazy and, and uh, ur- ur- urbane and, um, and happening. And the burbs are, you know, where you go to have your soul die. It's, it's actually both, right? And they're both, you know, the twin sides of the secular humanist coin. The, the burbs are just where burnt out ex-partiers go that lost, you know, the food lost its flavor when they finally got beat into marriage after like a, a youth of womanizing without really a conversion. They just get married because they're like, I caught my limit. I'll marry this chick right here. And they're not Christians. And it's not like an Augustine thing. or It's not like a St. Francis thing. It's a different thing. They just kind of come to the, burbs and their soul dies and then they get a little more domesticated a little more pseudo-christian a little more ned flanders and all of america has this view in the popular culture that it's herbs are radical burbs are not that ain't it and I, I, I don't know why i'm getting so stuck on this idea here today in rules retrogrades but it's like you see moving out to the country this is uh, a more radical move Training your kids to be martyrs. This is a more radical move. You, you recount the story of Francis and Margaret Bosco, who are John Bosco's parents. Um, Francis lost his father at a young age. That's not part of the script, herbs or burbs. Uh, there's this beautiful quote by uh, John Bosco's mother, Margaret. I, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to read it. As he was leaving for the seminary in his cassock, she laid her hands on his shoulder and she said, to see you dressed in this manner fills my heart with joy. But remember, it is not the dress that gives honor to the state, but the practice of virtue. If at any time you come to doubt your vocation, I beseech you, lay it aside at once. I'd rather have a poor peasant for my son than a negligent priest. Based. When you, come in, when you came into the world, I consecrated you to Our Lady. When you began to study, I bade you honor her and have recourse to her in all your afflictions. Now I beg you to take her for your queen. No one says that besides, I mean, this is beautiful, right? Absolutely. And it was, you know, further on, it was when uh, Don Bosco asked her to, to sacrifice her retirement to come live with him. And she became the mother to like all his boys, you know, Don Bosco boys, all the orphans. She was a mother. She sold her wedding ring. And even I think she used her vestment or her wedding dress to make vestments. So it's this life of, 
you know, radical outpouring. And you realize, I think a lot of parents today, it's like, oh, I'm, they can't wait for their kids to grow up and to move out of the house. And then they're just going to be you know, retired and go by the beach. But here you have a mother that's willing to just, she's, she's pouring herself out. And she, the most important thing she wants, she doesn't care about how successful her, her son is. She wants him to be holy, wants him to be a saint. And, and uh, that, that's just that. And I think she's actually up for canonization now her, her process is in. So it's uh, as, as, as I say in the book, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yeah. I mean, what of this quote by the quarter ours? I don't know if you treat it in here. You probably do that. You know, if, if your kids go to hell, take solace, you'll be there to comfort them or some, something sarcastic like that. What, people don't like that, but there's something to it. It might not be um, hermetically sealed off that if you have one sort of black sheep, if you have a lot of kids and you get one black sheep and they were just willful or something, consecrated their life the other direction, downward, hey, free will is free will. They can do that. But generally speaking, Having written this book, would you agree with uh, the Cordaires or what? I think so. I mean, really, it is. If our children go to hell, I mean, we're the ones that are, are responsible for that and we will be accountable. Uh, at, at the same token, you know, I, I quoted the, from the rule of St. Benedict, like if parents do everything in their power and again, so going back, to, so if you did everything in your power and your child does choose hell, but you led that virtuous life, you will be, according to the rule of St. Benedict, you will be acquitted. But if, if you leave that poor example, right. you know, you're not taking them to church, you're not praying with them and they do go to hell, yeah, you, you're not correcting them for their vices, that you will be accountable. So, Yeah, you failed at your vocation. I mean, yeah. I talk about it a lot. And it's usually a topic that that makes the show in passing the way it's kind of making it in passing here. But I, I, it's not an official teaching of the church that there are like these four wacky vocations that JP2 talked about. I think that's really misleading, right? A, a vocation has to be sacramental at, at its source. You know, etiologically, it's got to be sacramental. There are two, right? You're, you're either called to the priesthood or you're called to, um, to procreate new lives and to educate them. And yeah, so it, it makes sense that the, the, that the truth is closer to the rule of Benedict. I think uh, Cordaris was mainly making a joke, but you got to educate, not just procreate. And, and there are people on both sides. Most of the people in the burbs are, you know, they have one 1.7 children apiece and they go around life contracepting with a contraceptive mindset. Even those 1.7 kids they had were lucky to sneak through the gate, right? Slip past the goalie the way their, their parents are leading the contraceptive life. But, but you, on the other hand, you don't see this nearly as much, but some people think their main job, okay, we can't contracept. Our main job is to have all the kids, but then not to love them and love them tender. That's the other half. So these parents of the saints, I noticed reading all, all 50 or whatever, they make them tough, which is just lacking from the Flanders sort of modern America view of the burbs but they're also incredibly tender and uh, with them. And that's also lacking from the sort of Protestantized view of parenting in the burbs, isn't it? It's very tender. It is. It is. You know, Zelie Martin, I, I, so she's a saint, right? A parent of the saint of St. Therese, but I also include her parents in there and her mother never let her have a doll growing up. So she struggled. She was, uh, her mother was very insensitive, wasn't loving. 
But thankfully, Zelie knew that that affection that she, you know, that she longed for, she got it from her husband, Louis, and she passed that on to St. Therese. So she was very aware of that nurturing with, with a tenderness. Um, at the same time, I also talk about St. Ignatius of Loyola. He was one of 16 kids and his father was a womanizer and that also his grandfather. So as you can see, St. Ignatius followed the path of his father and then had a conversion uh, due to, uh, you know, getting shot by a cannonball. Right. And, re- and reading the lives of the saints. So his parents, it says he grew up in a home of, it was, you know, with Catholic you know, values, but lacks morality in a sense. Like Catholicism was like a, you know, like we see that today, like, you know, in a lot of the cultures, it's like, oh, you go and get, uh, go to first communion. And then after that, you don't come back, just like confirmation. And, and so I think that was the thing, um, you know, St. Ignatius. And, and then we see in also many Catholic homes today, it's just like, yeah, you just, you leave, you know, the books around, the Catholic books around, but if you're not educating the children, they're going to fail. A pair of short friends and retrogrades. Before we go uh, even uh, one word further into this interview, I want to remind you, like this video, definitely subscribe and click the notification bell. Also leave a comment. Lots of people have been going with the simple comment. I like cookies. Look, if you have a question for, for Patrick, or you have a question for me, leave that by all means. But if you can't think of anything else, I like cookies is good enough because it it hits them right in the algorithm, the YT algorithm. Also, if you want to support this show, we need it badly. We need we need your support. You know, I mean, it's this book here. Where is it? I don't have it close at hand. Where did it go? The case for patriarchy has come out. The attacks have amped up exponentially. And I was getting lots of attacks before. I mean natural attacks who knows maybe maybe preternatural attacks so if you want to support me if you want to support the show patreon at timothy j gordon at patreon and steph's book as, as patrick well knows he's been helping us edit it up he's the one that got mother miriam to write that amazing amazing blurb for steph's book ask your husband uh that's going to come out in a couple months and the attacks are going to ramp up because then it's going to be a pair husband and wife writing anti-feminism books. And I just, I expect the world in, in reverse when Steph's book comes out. So the help is real and the help helps. The best way to help yourselves is to get out of your crazy blue state and get to a red state. Do like I did. I got from the bluest of the blue to the reddest of the red, California to Mississippi. And I wish that I had used realestateforlife.org which you can do. Uh, It will make that large headache of moving out of a dangerous state, any blue state's a dangerous state, to a red state. I suggest someplace from Texas to Florida. It makes it a less prominent headache. Cuts out not all the pain, but most of the pain. And as any headache sufferer knows, if you can do away with 75% of your pain, that's a bit of all right. So go to realestateforlife.org and get out of your blue state now while the Biden admin is in some kind of breathing, catching up on breath period after their aggressive first few months uh, in the presidency. They're going to resume the plan, and the plan is detailed, it's manifold, and it's going to be aggressive starting again sometime in late 2022, I estimate. So get out now before they close state lines. Who knows what they're going to do? Get out now. Okay, so I'm talking to Patrick Hearn today uh acquisitions editor at tan 
our publisher. It's just what Steph and I uh, call Patrick. He's a, a good man. John Morehouse's replacement. And he, we're talking about this book, The Parents of the Saints, of which he is the author. Can we talk a little bit? You, you just mentioned, Patrick, um, St. Therese's mom. And I always found, even before you sent me this book, I always found St. Therese's parents' approach to parenthood more similar to Steph's and mine, just naturally by temperament or whatever, than any other parent of the saint I've ever read. And it's like, could you talk about their approach to parenting? It was very tender, right? It was very, we got to pray together. We got to do our chores, but let's be tender with our kids. Let's play with our kids. Let's spend recreation time. Does this work? It seems like it does. It does. You know, uh, Lewis Martin would often take uh, Therese, you know, fishing. They love to go fishing. And, and one time there was a thunderstorm coming and Therese just, she loved it. And Lewis, he was kind of like scared by it. So he's like, oh, we got to get going. But it, it was that tenderness. He would often take Therese, you know, on his lap and would sing stories, rock her to bed, especially, you know, Therese was around four, I believe, when her, when her mother passed away. So he kind of took on a mother's heart. But throughout their uh, marriage, I mean, you, you could just see the way that I, I think that he unlocked the mysteries of that enabled Therese to really um, advance in a spiritual life, to take God as their father, because as you know, we're reflections of the heavenly father. And so definitely the things that they did um, in parenting with, with that tenderness uh, was able to help them. I didn't know that uh, it's, it's Zelly, right? That Zelly died that early in, I, I knew she died. But I didn't know it was when uh, Therese was only four. It was that. Yeah. Was that wow. Yeah. Yeah. Was and, she uh, one of the younger kids? She has other, uh, all yeah. of her, her siblings were religious, right? Correct. So there was nine in the family and actually four children died. Two boys died very young. Uh, their names were Joseph and they always dreamt of them being priests. And then, uh, and then the five sisters that survived, they end up becoming nuns. So four of them became Carmelite nuns. And then one, right. uh, Leone became a, a visitation nun. I see. So was Therese one of the younger siblings? Yeah, she was the youngest child, the ninth one. And, and, and the eighth child was named after her was Melanie Therese. And she died. They had a, Zelly had a condition in her breast. Did she like, uh, it was like a lump. And so eventually she died from that, from breast cancer, but she couldn't breastfeed. So they had this wet nurse that nursed her eighth child. And sadly, that eighth child died of neglect. They found out the wet nurse was an alcoholic. And it just, uh, Zelly had like, she had post-traumatic stress. She couldn't even go by the street where her daughter died. So that child, that eighth child, uh, they named Therese after her. Uh, but it just shows you, I, I think I, I talk about uh, the segue in to uh, suffering is a chapter that's in there. And I think, you know, when you go through pre-Cana classes, like they don't prepare you for suffering. And uh, I think right. that that was the ability of Zelie and Lewis, the way they embraced it joyfully um, was enabled Therese to, she said she wanted to be a martyr and she obviously died at the age of 24. And uh, so that was kind of that, that preparation became, it happened well before she entered the convent. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. I'd like to talk about a couple yeah. of the other saints and the way that yeah. you say the chapter on suffering is your most meaningful one. All of the saints that I'm drawing from, uh, come from that chapter. No coincidence. So, um, uh, Luca and Anna Maria Danae, uh, Paul Danae's parents, 
uh, lost six infant girls. The, the father spent time in jail, Luca. Um, Jose, Jose uh, uh, Escriva, Jose Maria Escriva's father, hit financial ruined and was shamed for it. You see some of that in Jose Maria Escriva, the saint who founded Opus Dei. You know, it's it's got this kind of, not not prosperity gospel, but a little bit of that or something in it. And you see is sort of, the comic book nerds call it origin story. I'm not a comic book nerd. I'm an LOTR nerd, but they call it an origin story. You see the incipient motivation through the father and the suffering. And it is in all of these cases, the suffering from early life, right? The, you know, the Bosco suffering, uh, lost his father, uh, the, the father of John Bosco lost his father at a young age. Jose Escriva hit financial ruin. We were talking about uh, the Dene parents lost six infant girls. St. Teresa of Calcutta, the father died of poisoning, right? Suddenly. And uh, Mother Teresa's mother found joy in suffering. And, and this is kind of what this chapter's on. You got to somehow, atheists will call it a cope, but you got to somehow learn to work within the framework of suffering, right? And is this why this is your most important chapter, showing it? I think so. You know, I talk a lot about spouses, you know, losing a spouse and also losing children. And it's very common in marriage. And, uh, and, and I wanted to give, you know, the readers some hope through these, through these parents to realize that, uh, you know, that's really the most important lesson you can give your children is how to suffer well. I mean, besides after the sacramental life is how to suffer well. And we even see that with John Paul II's father. Like, I, I kind of argue that, like, John Paul II and, like, Pope Benedict, I don't say this specifically in the book, maybe a little bit about John Paul, but I, I don't talk about Pope Benedict's parents because he's, he's not a saint yet, uh, God willing, hopefully. Uh, yeah. But they, they passed on that legacy to them. And I think if they had been born in different times and different parents, you know, that lived, like, a lax life, a very comfortable life, I don't know that they would be the kind of men that they were. Like, suffering purified them. And in the saints too, it was this longing to be reunited with, with, uh, with their parents. Like you, you'd often see in Zelie or in, sorry, in St. Therese's writings, like she had this desire to be reunited with her, her four siblings that she lost as well as her parents. It kind of, when we think about I, like a dark night of the soul, it was almost in a sense, like the parents were like these stars in the night and, and they were, they were kind of guiding them to eternity through their prayers. And uh, so I think again, yeah, just how suffering, I argue too, that it detaches us from this world. You know, we're so, we're, we're, we're just caught up. We're here like 90 years and you think about eternity is like a trillion, trillion. And it just keeps going on. And, uh, and that's what kept these, these, um, these children, uh, or sorry, these saints going is, is that to be reunited obviously with God and then the parents. Yeah. Like Simba and Mufasa, right? That's exactly that's what right. you had. No, no. Right. <laughs> like, dude, you just ruined you ruined my whole thing I was trying to do, Tim. But thanks, thanks a lot, Jerk. Uh, uh, no, is is the um, the original lo the Lion King father that that gets slaughtered by hyenas or whatever is that called Mufasa? I think I don't think I've ever seen that movie all the way through. <laughs> if, is Mufasa the slaughtered father of? Sim I know Simba's the um, the young Lion King. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I think the Elton John song kind of ruined it, but. <laughs> I think Disney ruined it. I, I haven't watched a Disney movie after I, I don't know when. 
Scar is his yeah. Scar, brother. Yeah. I know that much. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we 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 show our kids better movies than than yeah. new. old Disney's fine, but yeah. Um, it, anyway, that that image. Yeah. Crap, Chris, Tim, crap. I do want to put, and we can go back to suffering, but I, I I wanted to put in obviously a plug for your wife's book, amazing. Ask your husband. I, I recommend everyone read it. And and one thing I talk about is Kiara Bendano. She was a she's a blessed. She died of uh, bone cancer at the age of eighteen, and uh, her mother at one point she was their only child. They had prayed. 10 years to conceive and they finally conceived and here this was their only child and then it died 18 years later but um initially they put kiara into in and she was in school and then the mother was working in a biscuit factory and then she got this illness kiara's mother and she she came home and she goes she never went back to work after that she goes i never realized how important my role is at being home with my daughter and just being, being a presence to her. And that's what, you know, Stephanie's book, it, it makes you show, it reveals how important, you know, the presence of a mother in the home um, with your children. So I, I want to thank you, Steph for writing this book. And I uh, just want to connect the two about how saints are formed in, in the domestic church when you have uh, both father and mother just present to their children. Right. Doing what they need to do. And uh, one thing that, we talk about um, a couple couple things that Steph talks about a lot in her book. I talk about uh, one of these two lessons more in my book. She talks about the other one more in hers. One, the, so the men are the breadwinners, but you got to be present when you get home, you know, kind of like Theoden says about the long ride to war. Like it's a three-day ride to war. That's a man getting up and going to work during the day. And then, getting to the battlefield three days later later when you're somewhat weary that's when the real struggle begins when a man gets home from work you can't be some grouchy jerk to your kids right or else this is going to be the image of the father you know the, the heavenly father that the kids will take and this is this is part of the problem with the greatest generation they created the hippies right it's not just about going to work making money making wealth putting a roof over your head as as they always said it's like you got to you get, somehow you got to use a cope, got to use a trick. You got to come home and be a jolly father figure that mm-hmm. loves. You, you can be stern sometimes, but you got to be happy most of the time. And I, I, I emphasize that the mother's got to be present all day, but the father has to get home and really be a, a source of joy when he gets home. And, you know, I tell this to the trad households. Yeah, mom, mom's got to stay home. The two income things a trap and it's not allowed by Christianity and all the treads cheer. And then I'm like, but you got to be in a good mood dudes when you get home. And um, that's, that's more of a call. That's more of an invocation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, one thing that struck me, one of the biggest lessons was St. Jose Maria's father. And he said the same thing, you know, kind of like that uh, Margaret Bosco said to Don Bosco. He, when, when uh, Jose told him he wanted to be a priest and he goes, are you sure son, you know, priests must be saints. And they would often go for walks together and he and Jose would kind of pour out his heart to his father. And he said his father would just listen to him. And also his father never like spied on him. He kind of had this trust uh, between the two of them. And I think his father acted like a, his first spiritual director. And I think it's important for you know us men too is, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about holy hours, but we should have holy hours with, you know, each of our children, you know, whether it's like on a, you know, on a, Saturday, you take that child one-on-one and you say, Hey, for that hour, I'm going to give you all my attention. I'm going to listen to you. And I think that's like going back to the thing about affection. And I think that's what uh, St. Therese's parents did very well. Like they, they gave their kids the quality time and they also had fun too. Oh yeah, man. I mean, this is one thing that's a challenge from having lots of kids 
You have, the more kids you have, the more of a challenge it is. Lots of my listeners have more of a challenge than me. I have six. But you can't just, um, what would it be called? Reverse gradation. You can't spend all your time with 100% of your kids because then it creates this primogeniture, right? Where <laughs> that works out fine unless you're intentional. Then the only kid that will ever have seen you without other screaming, hollering kids around is your first. Right, You have to simulate that for your second, then your third, then your fourth. My third and fourth are twins, by the way. So that it's, I have to extra intentionally craft that time, burnish that time, carve it out to spend with each of the twins. Mm-hmm. Then the fifth, the sixth is still two. So I haven't had to worry about it yet. But once they start hitting three, I'm like, I have to take, like you said, an hour or two. A lot of them just like going to the store or on errands one-on-one. You can't just have the oldest child be the only one that spent individual time with dad or, or mom for that matter. <laughs> Got to take them on little errands. And that takes a lot of time. I could imagine if you have 12 kids, twice as many as I have, it's twice as hard. But that's, that's, I'm really glad you said that. There are these tricks that have nothing to do even with, I mean, they ate it in a natural way, but they have nothing to do with prayer. And too often, we're not getting the natural virtues from the pulpit. like. Oh, by the way, parents with big families, you're doing a good job. Great job not contracepting. You have to spend one-on-one time with each of those kids now. It's a lot of work. It's fun and it's affectionate, but it it does take elbow grease insofar as like, uh, I got to make up another errand. That's what my kids like doing with me is just running errands. And they like going without all their pesky brothers and sisters along. And so we just have a rotation system and we talk about, puppy dogs and rainbows with all the girls. And then with my young boy, we talk about like motorcycles are blowing things up or whatever. But the point is, so I mean, that's, that's a really good point. The, the second aspect that te- Steph tends to highlight in her book more, I wonder if you have this in here, is with St. John Amola. Same highlight that you carved out four or five minutes ago People always throw her as a, a counterexample. Oh, can't she work? What isn't her work ushering in love to the people and, 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 and ministering to them as a doctor? No. As a matter of fact, this is well recounted in Ask Your Husband. Her husband hated it and had made her promise to leave being a doctor because it's not holy, right? So the answer is no. And, and, and people will throw that counterexample back, not understanding that do you, do you cover John Amola? I didn't see her in your book. I do. I, I talk about her parents more, and I think her mother actually stayed at home. And one thing about their families, you know, after you know they made dinner like a priority, and the father would come home, and they would, uh, you know, just that quality time. But no, Saint, yeah, Saint Gianna's mother was was at home with the kids. They also went to they lived a couple miles from the Catholic Church. They would walk every day and go to daily mass. So, you know, the, the father would go to the, the earlier mass and then Gianna's mother would take all the kids to the mass. But I, I do not specifically highlight that. I should have, because uh, it was more about St. Gianna's parents. Parents, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I really like this this suffering chapter. And uh, again, it's it's amazing. You go through Bosco, Danae, uh, uh, Mother Teresa, the Escrivas. It's good stuff. People really, really pick up this book. Your other chapters are on... Um, lower key yet still important things like surrender, sacrificial love, simplicity, solitude, sacredness of life itself, and uh, the sacramental life uh, of Our Lady. 
but um the suffering one is your most important one according to you and i, I mm -hmm. see i see why i like the organization here the yeah. thematic yeah. organization you want to you want to take us out with a parting shot on like i mean suffering's important what is the main lesson you want people to take from this book i think they should go buy it buy it from tan books or amazon today yeah. what's the main lesson i think the main lesson is that if we want our kids to be saints we must we must take that first step and we, we must lead the path to holiness. And, and we do it through our actions. You know, it was, it was John Paul seeing his father on his knees at night that became his first seminary. Um, you know, it was, it was uh, St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows whose, whose father would pray an hour in his room. He was the mayor of Assisi and then he'd go to daily mass, his mother doing spiritual reading or go to the Pieta. So everything flows from the holiness of the mom and dad. And, and the first chapter is the sacramental life. And so prayer is, is the heart of these, of these parents. They, they live the Catholic life through that rich sacramental life. And, and the last thing that is so important is, you know, St. Therese says, if I hadn't had like devout parents, I may have ended up lost. So don't ever doubt your role as parents. Uh, this is our most important thing is, 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 to, is to make saints. It's not whether our children become, you know, uh, successful or become wealthy uh, but, but the legacy is that you can, uh, you can raise saints with God's grace and you're, you know, like you may be frustrated with what's going on in the church today and in our world, but you have control over what happens in your household and right. you can impact generations upon generations. And, and I didn't talk about this term, but it was a term that God put on my heart. It's called saintly succession. You know, we have apostolic succession. God wants saintly succession. He wants your kids. And he also wants your grandchildren. He, you know, you pass along. Like people don't know this, but St. Thomas More and his posterity, there was, a few, um, there was a few nuns and priests, and these all came down from St. Thomas More. And so people can look at that and say, hopefully God willing, you know, your great grandchildren, one of, maybe you get to heaven someday, God willing, and you see you're in heaven and one of your great grandchildren comes up and he's a saint someday. And they're like, thank you for handing on the faith to me. And so that's the kind of legacy. Um, we don't see it in this life. Sometimes we do, but most often we won't. But just to know that uh, God wants to, to create a civilization of saints uh, through us. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Apostolic succession, saintly succession. Saintly succession. It's, it's a nice corollary to a point I'm often making. I, I mean, it's almost the self-same point, I should say, which is different from a corollary. There are two patriarchies. There's a clerical patriarchy, which has all but failed us in its human dimensions in our day. Uh, people better be frustrated with it. But it doesn't work as much evil or good on the world as the ecclesiola, the home. And we have total control over our own homes as, as the patriarchs, right? I am the priest, prophet, king of my home. And I can fashion whatever society I claim to want in the liturgy, right? In the Vatican, in the Curia, I could do that in my home. Now, in a non-ordained way, but still, this is, I, I'm a, parents are a bigger influence on their own kids than the Pope or the bishop mm -hmm. or the pastor. That's a fact. And it's always easy for people to just say, oh, you know, the clerical patriarchy is messed up. That's why the world's messed up. And that's actually true. But if we take back households in Christendom, and I mean the men, take back the households, marry holy women, be holy men, and, and start taking 
your book seriously. Parents of the Saints. This is not just a Ned Flanders suburban thing. That That's not going to make any saints. Rod and Todd Flanders, no surprise, are not going to be saints. The comfortable button-down sweater vest dorky lifestyle that's averse to risk and is not that affectionate. Those are the two things that I see in all of these stories, right? You need more affection than the secularized pseudo-Protestant American suburb gives. You need more affection and you need more toughness. You need a that killer combo of affection and, and, and the kind of toughness, I don't mean necessarily getting in street fights. I mean, willingness to suffer. You know, that's what I mean by toughness. So your book highlights those really, really beautifully. And I have it dog-eared in some places that I read. I have it dog-eared in some places I didn't read because it's a really substantial book. So go out and get this thing on Tan Books. God bless you guys. Des Volt, did you have a parting shot for us, Patrick? I really enjoyed it. No, I just, I just, I also highlighted, you know, some, I want I didn't want to sugarcoat this. So Mother Angelica said, I wish 20, I think it was 20 years in purgatory to those who sugarcoat the lives of the saints. So there's things that these saints failed at. And so as parents, you know, don't beat yourself up on it. You can learn from them and uh, you'll see stories of there. I even highlighted, uh, he's not a saint, but obviously not even a saint at all. But Martin Luther, the way that he, I used him as a bad example because his parents beat him up, literally beat him. And that's, you know, you can see those extremes or even Margaret Sanger, she's mentioned in there as she, she was raised, she was baptized Catholic. I mean, and had her father not, yeah, not had her father not been, uh, you know, had embraced the faith instead of, you know, his, her mother had several miscarriages and she died young, I think, I believe. And he was kind of bitter about that. And then he turned to, you know, secularism and uh, and that kind of led to M- margaret sanger so you just think about your your role as a parent it's just it, it's so it's uh, so important it can never be underestimated yeah yeah I'd, now if the parents beat martin luther luther later <laughs> in life, i'd be fine with it but you know when he was a kid yeah. i know I, I agree i agree with you and he's not again he's not a I just threw in some bad examples of parenting in there too, just to, to show. So yeah. no, amen, amen. I didn't know Margaret Sanger was a Catholic. Yeah, baptized, baptized Catholic. Yeah. Well, parish orphans and retrogrades, go out and get this book, Parents of the Saints. It's on excellent, excellent, excellent tan books. They need your support. We've already talked about ways you can support me and the show via Patreon, via buying my book on Sophia. I've got a forthcoming book on Tan, which will be out next year. Just support good people, support good books like Mr. Patrick O'Hearn. This is what we can be doing with our time and resources and monies. If you're, if you're sick of the clerical patriarchy and you don't want to tithe to your, your parish if it's not a good one, there are good things, even bulking up your library with stuff like this. Anyway, God bless you all. Keep your head on a swivel. Patrick, thanks for being here. It was a good time. Yeah. Thanks for having me.